We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by otgbasketball.com. I am your host, Nick Fay. With me, my international Nets friend, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Quite happy, Nick. You know, the Nets had a, a decent weekend, but unfortunately, you know, did poorly with the Jazz loss and the unfortunate uh, Russell injury. Luckily, uh, it wasn't too serious. Yeah, luckily, nothing too serious. And like you said, I'm pretty happy about it. Going in the matchup, I think we said last week when we talked about it, It'd be nice to come out with a win against the Blazers and uh, Jazz, but it wasn't the most likely thing. But the Nets stepped up. They picked up the win on uh, in Portland on Friday. They had a close one in Utah on Saturday. So can't really complain about the effort. Now, two and three on the road trip easily could have been three and two. So I'm pretty happy about it, especially with the injuries we've had. Yeah, the fact that we've been able to, to show such energy with the lack of bodies that we've had, especially with the bigs, um, uh, I think that the lack of bigs almost helped us in that uh, Blazers win. Um, a lot of post-game coverage, especially coming out of Portland, was the fact that they just weren't able to defend some of our smaller lineups. But then uh, going into Utah, that was almost our Achilles heel. Despite the um, the loss of Rudy Gobert, uh, Derek Favors was able to bully us a bit down low. And uh, Donovan Mitchell had a, had a bit of a night himself. But, you know, one win out of two, especially um, as the underdogs in both matchups, I'll take it any day. Yeah, let's, let's dig into those games a little bit deep. Start with the Blazers game. Like we said, you know, the Nets fought in that game. They're hanging around the whole time, and then that third quarter, they just went off. And they, you know, they took the lead. Portland was able to tie it back up in the fourth, and then they came up on top. And like you said, they're playing with so much energy. The small ball lineup was working. The Blazers elected to to match the Nets with small ball instead of playing Nurkic. Do you think that helped the Nets a lot in that situation? I, I think it did, to be honest, because um, you look at the, the guys that we've sort of got. RHJ um, is one of the better guys. You know, he's probably not like elite uh, by by any stretch, but um, in terms of his defensive effort that night, he was, I would say he was almost as important, if not as important as D'Angelo, especially down the stretch with those two steals. Yeah. Um, he was just monster for us. And 
And he was a big part of that, um, stretching those lineups for me. Exactly. And you said it, those two big plays against Dame Lillard in the end, getting the steal, the hustle, you know, I think Kenny Atkinson said he felt like he played him the whole second half and he couldn't take him out. And that's the biggest compliment he can give to one of his players. So we've talked about Rondé a lot and the improvements he's made to his game. And he's just one of those guys you love to root for because he always brings the energy every night. Yeah, 38 minutes, Nick. Um, unheard of in the Kenny Atkinson era. Like, I honestly, from the top, the top of my head, you know, D'Angelo is our guy. He's the franchise guy, but he's been averaging 30 minutes, if that. And, you know, his higher probably minutes are at the 33 mark. So 38 minutes um, is almost uh, – I can't I can't remember a player. I, I, don't, I doubt Brolo probably played that in, in last year either. Nope. Um, yeah. So he certainly earned that with his uh, – especially on the defensive side. But he also makes plays. So, you know, you can count on him on either end now. And I think that's why Kenny's leaving him out there. He's got the – He's got the legs after coming back as well. He, he's fresh. So um, I'd be happy to see Ronde play some heavy minutes. And in the future, when um, D'Angelo gets healthy as well, I want to see his minutes extended a little bit because, you know, his per 36 numbers are, are, are really, really good. And the fact that he's doing it off, you know, barely 30 minutes a night, like these nights where he's just averaging, you know, 24 and 5, it's just, he's it's off like probably less than all the other players in that category. So it's... um. His efficiency is quite good, especially on the offensive end. But, yeah, RHJ, my boy, the hyphen, he's killing it. Yeah, a big game and the energy. And like you said, he just the impact he has on both ends now. You know, he can have a positive floor, a positive impact on offense and defense. So I think that's big. But let's talk about D'Angelo. That, that game was huge. You know, he played point guard early on. And then when it came to the fourth quarter, he went into that clutch mode, you know, ice in the veins, hit some big shots, drove to the rim. You know, we love to see him when he's attacking the rim because he has a really good in-between game. He has a nice floater. He finishes well with his left. So I think when he attacks, it's just so hard to defend him. And he's hitting his three, and he started hitting his three in that game too, and I think that was like... Yeah, that definitely gave him some confidence. Um, you know, that pull-up three was dagger. That and one play at the end to seal it was dagger. 11 points in the fourth, you know. It's almost like Westbrook hardened mode. Um, he's got the clutch vein, um, the clutch ice in his veins is... Not enough adjectives um, to describe how good Russell has been for us in, in late in the games. And he's proving himself. And I think it all comes down to the support he's been given and the confidence he's been given by the coaching staff and his teammates. Um, he's in a system that wants him to succeed, unlike in LA. Um, not to take pot shots at Los Angeles, but you know, somewhat I am because you know he wasn't wanted there. There was he that he didn't feel comfortable there. He didn't feel loved there. He's loved in Brooklyn, and he's showing the love for us, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think um, he said that too in one of his quotes after that game. You know, it's nice to have my teammates and my coaches believe in me and give me confidence. Tweeted out early Saturday, um, uh, D'Angelo joined a list of seven players that are averaging 20-plus points, four-plus rebounds, five-point assists, and the guys on that list are DeMarcus Cousins, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Dame Lillard, and James Harden. So it's yeah. just, you know, he's playing at a great level. And like you said, the minutes aren't even there. So it's, he's doing this all really efficiently. Yeah, Puccio posted that one. I saw that of Anthony Puccio. And um, he, he posted um, right under that tweet, doing it in 27 minutes per game. I highly doubt Boogie, maybe Curry and Durant are probably the ones that are averaging the least amount of minutes. But Harden will be playing heavy minutes. Dame will be playing heavy minutes. 27 minutes he's doing that in. That's ridiculous. Under 30. And, you know, a bit above 25 minutes. So imagine what he could do, you know, in years to come when he's, you know, fully developed, when he's 
it's just really, really fun to imagine, like a 25-year-old Dan D'Angelo playing 33 minutes um, and just showing what he could do. It, there's possibilities are endless on that offensive end. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that he's 21. You know, everything so much is expected of him, and everybody's like, "Oh, D'Angelo Russell." It's like you already assume him to be at that level, but he still has so much time. But let's talk about uh, the defense in that game. You we mentioned Rondé how he hustled, but I felt like the whole team really picked it up. There was a lot of effort, a lot of diving for loose balls. What do you think? Defensive game of the season, Nick. Um, we talk a lot about the turnovers and the Brooklyn Buzz quite a bit. Um, just to note, we only had 10 turnovers for the game, which is, um, you know, just watching the Toronto Raptors game right now, um, they've had 10 turnovers themselves in the first half. Portland had 11, so we won the turnover game, which really happens. Um, D'Lo himself was taking care of the ball nicely, only had two. One thing that I was at was our free throws, and I think it's been one thing that we've been lacking all year. Yeah. You know, we're getting to the line okay, but we're just not nailing them. Um, you know, Rondé, we mentioned him and how his percentage has been um, really great. But um, he's certainly leading the way. But, you know, 11 of 19 from the night and uh, Portland were 9 of 11. If we have nailed at least 75% of our free throws, you know, it's almost not even a game anymore. Yeah, and especially in a close game like this, when you're playing a four-point game on the road, you know, you need the free throws. And like you said, you're not going to hit all your free throws, but at least hit, you know, 70%, 80%. These are free shots, especially yeah. the guards. D'Angelo's been struggling, struggling a little bit. Some of the other guys have been struggling too. So just kind of get that rhythm back. And what do you think about that third quarter? Did you think that was probably our best quarter of the season, 31-18? Yeah, and it, do you think this is our a, best win of the season too? Oh, easily our best. Oh, it's hard to toss it between the Cavs and the, and the, and the Blazers. But I liked um, – you know, the rhythm seems to be the keyword coming out of Brooklyn, and, and I'm going to echo the sentiments. Um, our rhythm looked really good. Just the way we were moving the ball, uh, transitioning defense to offense, it seemed the flow of the game, despite the fact that we didn't have to score 110, 120 points. Our offense looked in flow. Guys were making cuts. Guys were making the right plays. Um, whereas, I guess, against the Cavs, we just, everything just seemed to go right, whereas everything went wrong for the Cavs. Whereas in this game, we Brooke, despite the fact that Dame and CJ started off slow, those guys are clutch and they've got to put up a fight. And Portland, uh, by no means, um, a non-contender. They're going to be around the mark um, come the end of the season in the West. So it was against a really good team. And, and I just really liked the whole flow, the whole rhythm, the whole tempo. It, we seemed to have the game on our own terms. And we showed some maturity when we did go down. We'd, we'd go on a run ourselves. And we'd always keep around the mark rather than being blown out, which which I really liked. Yeah, and it, you, this team has a lot of fight, too. It's like they're never out of the game. They they were down for a long time. Like, I think of this, obviously, last year team is less talented, but it was kind of like if they were down a third quarter by, like, 10 points, if they didn't make, a, like, any type of lucky momentum, they were losing that game. And this squad, they take that, they go in that big run, they kind of take over the game, they get some poise, and it just, I think it has to be the biggest win because, you know, the Cavs win was nice, but we know the Cavs aren't playing great. The Blazers aren't by far not the Blazers' best game, but to go in Portland, win on the road, I think that's really big. Huge. And uh, I mentioned the movement off ball from players, how it looked a lot better. It was reflected yeah. in our assist numbers as well, um, winning at 25 to 17. So it's just seen that the ball was, was moving nicely. And, you know, the fact that we, we won the assist battle and we also won the turnover battle. It just seemed to be one of those nights where everything seemed to click. Yeah, they're two very important, you know, stats for each game. And we'll kind of bring them up when we talk about the Jazz game. But moving on from there, let's talk Utah. Obviously, this game we lost, it, um, eight-point loss. 
We almost pulled it away at the end. Dealt with some more injuries in this game. D'Angelo obviously got hurt close to the end. Spencer didn't when he was out. What did you think about this one? Obviously, second night of a back-to-back after a long road trip last game. Yeah, the, the immediate – I really had no expectations going into this game, Nick. Um, ESPN ran a piece last week or the week before that's ongoing about teams and the scheduling um, for a lot of teams and how on road trip back-to-backs um, – and it's a really interesting piece how a lot of teams on those back-to-backs, whether it's a, a last game or uh, the second game in the middle of a road trip, how likely a team is going to win it. And more often than not, no matter who the team is, unless you're a Golden State Warriors, you're 80% likely, um, I'm, I'm not sure of the stats, but even coaches were quoting and saying like, yeah, we sort of expected this to be a loss. Now, it's not to say that we, we didn't want to get the win, not by any means. Um, we played some decent basketball, but obviously the energy levels are going to be sapped a bit. Um, Dinwiddie's uh, missing really hurt us. You know, Isaiah doesn't, really look NBA ready right now. He doesn't really have the reps um, right now, despite the fact he's played a, 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 some decent minutes so far. Um, so it wasn't all doom and gloom. The, you know, we weren't blown out by any stretch. You know, Utah are by no means an offensive store, and the fact that they could score um, so easily against us was something that we could probably tighten up. But, you know, Favors and Mitchell were just on, and, you know, the, our, our lack of bigs and our lack of bodies sort of just hurt us. Yeah, and I mean, looking in the schedule earlier in the week, um, you know, we were like, oh, this is probably a loss. Gobert was out of this game, Rudy Gobert, so that was big, and that gave the Nets an opportunity. But still, I think the energy wasn't there. Like we said, like you said in the Blazers game, everything was crisp. People were moving offensively. They really did some nice things. This game, 17 turnovers, 13 assists. You know, the ball movement's not there. The turnovers were there. And the Jazz just came up and played really tight defense from the start, and it kind of frazzled some of the Nets. And they had a stretch, I believe, at the end of the first quarter, things start to go bad. They're up 25-20 at one point, and then next thing you know, Isaiah Whitehead comes in, a few turnovers, a few bad plays. The Nets get themselves in a hole, and they never really got fully out of that hole. No, and we were always sort of playing catch-up a little bit. It was Exactly. Um, and, and you can't really do that against a team like Utah, who really like to grind out wins. Um, we weren't horrible by any stretch. It wasn't like, you know, any ridiculously bad performances like the like that Knicks game that we talked about a few episodes ago um that they, they destroyed us in terms of on the defensive end like 12 steals to seven um you know that's just something and a lot of those were you know poor passes and you know just some immature mistakes from guys like Levert and um and and Whitehead and you know you replace Whitehead's minutes with Dinwiddie you know, maybe those mistakes don't happen. Maybe we get a win or we get it a bit closer because eight, an eight-point loss to a team like Utah, even without Gobert, they're still quite deep. Um, they're incredibly well coached by a guy like Quinn Snyder. And, you know, they've got a nice advantage at home there in Utah. So, you know, it wasn't horrible by any stretch, but, you know, it would have been nice to get two wins and, and have some momentum heading back home with a few days off. Yeah, I think the Jazz, they do a great job of making you beat them. You know, like, yeah. they're going to play hard. They're going to earn the win. And the Nets on the other side, sometimes I felt like their offensive sets weren't easy, so they kind of gave up or they ended up taking bad shots. And uh, defensively, the same energy wasn't there. I felt like the Jazz were getting a ton of the, their first looks. You know, the first opportunity they had this floor, they were taking it, and it was a good look. They had a lot of – they got into the paint very easily. Pick and roll was a problem again. You mentioned early before, Derek Favors, you know, who's not even – the same player that he was last year or the last two years because I feel yeah. like injuries have really caught up to him. He dominated pretty much 24 and 12. 
and he's not even an elite big. No, and that's the, and that's the thing. Like we we harp on Mozgov, but you know, no Allen, um, no Zella. Booker was back. Um, our small ball lineup didn't really help us tonight. You know, it, it's just going to be nice to actually have. You know, there's always going to be little um, dinky injuries here and there, but uh, it seems to always affect the Nets at the at the worst times. Um, and, and when you have those bodies and you can have a healthy squad, you know, you can see what happened. You look at our preseason, our early season form was quite good for, for the most part, apart from a game here or there. So when we're healthy, you know, we're we're a team that can beat any on a night. You know, apart from maybe some of those really, really elite teams. But, you know, when it comes to the sort of lower fringes of the, of the playoff race in the East and West, the Nets are going to give it a shake. And, and that was proof against Portland. Um, and even against Utah, you know, we had our moments. We outscored them in the third and fourth, but it was that second quarter that really blew us out. Yeah, exactly. And they just – and it looked like the second of a back-to-back, especially on the road. Yeah. You know, they had a lot of early easy misses. They didn't die for a few loose balls that they got tonight before. So – just the small things. You can't, like you said, you can't really be mad about the performance, especially because they won in Portland night before. But those are the kind of games. I think they got it down to, what, four or two at the end of the game or four or three points, and yeah. it was really close. But then D'Angelo went down. And that kind of, I think, hurt the confidence of the squad. You know, like it's they don't tough. really, especially with Dinwiddie out, it's tough. Yeah, when you've got your two floor, well, three floor generals. We, we, we forget because yeah. the injury happened so early in the season. That's our three best point guards that aren't out on the floor. You take the three best point guards of any team in the NBA, whether it's, you know, take Steph Curry, Sean Livingston, and maybe Andre Iguodala um, off the Golden State Warriors. Who are they going to have? Um, you know, the, War- the, the Cavs are struggling without their top point guard, yet they've still got Derek Rose at least for a couple of minutes, even though he's playing like trash. They'd have Jose Calderon playing some heavy minutes. We've got, <laughs> luckily, we've got an Isaiah Whitehead who gives you energy. Um, he's going to do all he can, but you know he's still finding his footing in today's NBA. Um, it's sort of like uh, he's thrown into the fire a little bit, like he was last year when Jeremy Lin again went down. But um, it's going to hurt us, and, and hopefully these we don't have those same injuries, and we're going to have to, say, experiment a little bit with the lineups and you know maybe play some heavier minutes for, for Rondé uh, and for Carroll because... Those guys have been steadying presences for us. Um, but maybe this could be good for Isaiah. Um, you know, get, get him some reps because if these injuries happen again or, you know, we need to give some guys some rest, um, the minutes could be good for him. Yeah, I think, my, honestly, I think Isaiah, He the problem is the Nets want to be a point guard, but I don't think he really is a point guard. No. I think that he's best off playing off ball as maybe one of those combo guards that plays with a, a guy that's a two that can kind of run the show. He just doesn't necessarily look comfortable running the offense. He looks a lot better when he just puts his head down, drives to the rim. You know, he's just playing as like an all guy that doesn't have to worry about getting everybody else involved. And defensively, yep. he's not bad because he brings some toughness. So it's just like in that point guard position, he just he just doesn't work. This is where like, you know, I don't know if know this, but the Nets tried to get Jameer Nelson before he went to the Pelicans. This is a situation if they had him, you'd feel a lot better. Yeah, it's like we're missing two pieces, Nick. We're missing a, a decent big, whether it's a veteran or a young, whether it's an Okafor or, you know, um, whoever it might be. And we're missing a guy like a Nelson or just a guy who's – even you look at – Or a healthy Jack, squad. Even just yeah, a healthy just, squad. Just a healthy squad would be nice. Um, injuries happen, um, but – and, you know, you, you're forced to play guys and it's going to 
obviously improve our depth and the quality of our depth going in later into the season. But it sucks that it has to happen now. Um, you know, you look at Jared Jack out in New York and how he's, you know, sort of helping out um, the the sort of role he's playing alongside Nilakina. You know, if we had that sort of veteran presence, I think it'd be nice to see. We've mentioned about making a move. Maybe if these injuries continue to happen to some of our floor generals, we make a move for for a guy off the waivers list. Um, I'm not going to even utter his name, but I'm sure a lot of fans will be thinking, you know, Durant, Deron Williams is still on the wave list. He hasn't been picked up yet. God, no, we are not going to bring Williams back to Brooklyn, but a guy like him um, would be nice. Yeah, I mean, you never know. I doubt they would bring him back, especially with his attitude. But you, like no. you said, somebody like that. And, you know, the Nets have their veteran point guard, Lynn, who just goes down the first game of the season. They're yeah. pretty pretty good in the point guard area. But then, you know, D'Lo, I think, went down early, like, close to the two-minute mark in the fourth quarter. And it, it didn't look too bad, though. It just looked like he jammed his knee, kind of. Yeah. Like, it didn't look like it was a serious injury. And anybody who's played basketball, that's happened to you before. And they're just going to be super cautious with him. So I'm not worried. It just sucks because these are two probably two of his better games of the season. And he was starting to pick it up defensively. And, and then he gets hurt. Yeah, it's just the timing really sucks you mentioned, Nick. Um, he's gaining some real momentum. You can see the confidence... You know, 11, 12 games into the season, he's really hitting his stride. And, you know, he can carry that momentum and, you know, lead us to a few wins. Right now, you know, alongside Rondé and probably Damari, we've lost our best player. Um, people would argue, you know, D'Angelo's a liability on the defensive end. But as you mentioned, he started to get that confidence because his offense was coming. And, you know, you get confidence from seeing the ball go in the basket. You're going to show more energy on the defensive end. So Isaiah might be a slightly better defensive guard, um, especially, I guess, when he's more honed in. Um, but it, it just really sucks that we can't get a guy. Um, I think uh, Sean Marks might now look and at that mid-player, um, that injury exception that we've got with Jeremy Lin, um, sort of keep an eye on that. I know the Celtics have that for the same with Gordon Hayward, um, just to sort of add some depth to our roster. Um because you know you can't. It doesn't hurt to have bodies, um, and and the Nets have sort of certainly found that out in the, in the past sort of few games, especially on our road trip. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe they grab somebody. I think it depends on how bad the injury is, how long he's out, because uh, they might want to get some of the young guys' development. But I think Delo is clearly our best player. He's the only one that really can make something out of nothing. You know, like yes. offensively, when there's five seconds on the shot clock, he's one on one with his guy. He's able to make a play. Rondé does it a little in ISO and, like, mismatches. But D'Angelo can literally do it to, you know, most of the guys in the court. So I think not having him, not having the playmaking, it's going to be a lot of um, more of the the system. You know, it's a lot more of the motion offense. A lot of guys, it's going to have to be crisp passing ball moving because there's just not as many playmakers. So Dinwiddie is uh, – it wasn't a serious injury. I think he was just out with an illness. What do you expect to see from Spencer Dinwiddie from here on out? If he has to start, you know, maybe it's four games. Yeah, look, if he's back, um, it's going to help us tremendously. We, we've seen him, um, just the, the improvements all around in his game. Um, his shot making has been exquisite. Um, it's been unexpected. Um, he's almost, uh, I think I mentioned this comparison before on the Brooklyn Buzz, he's almost like a, a poor man, Sean Livingston, in, in a way. And, and right now, if you know the Nets still had Sean Livingston on our, on our squad, he'd be the perfect fit. Um, just in terms of a system guy, guy who moves the ball, who can make a bucket here and there. Um, in fact, Spencer Dimwini is probably a far better three-point shooter. I really like Spencer, and we, we've sung his praises many a times, and hopefully 
because he's he's as good in terms of not to discount D'Angelo's playmaking ability, and we've seen that in his assist numbers. But Spencer sort of creates in, in different ways, and sort of you know his usage isn't as high as D'Lo. He doesn't dribble as much. He sort of moves the ball a little bit differently, um, and it's going to be interesting. I, I think you, you make a really good point in terms of the system is really going to have to take over now. Um, and I think we're really going to have to sort of, the few days off will certainly help. And hopefully we come out with some energy. You know, we're making a lot of cuts when we come back, some nice off-ball screens, because guys like Alan Crabb and Damari Carroll are going to have to probably step up and, and bring the bring that offensive game because D'Angelo is, is down. Um, we don't know for how long at this stage, but it's certainly going to be a couple of games. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Crabb. That's somebody good game against the Blazers, rough game against the Jazz. They need him to be more consistent, especially with D'Angelo out. And they almost need everybody to step up a little bit as a playmaker. You know, make a few more plays here and there. If everybody makes one more play, it's a little bit easier for the squad. So, And Dinwiddie's going to have to find a good balance because not only will they need him to, you know, with the assist with D'Lo being out, but they need a scoring punch. And he's proven to be a pretty good scorer on this team. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Dinwiddie have to play 30-plus minutes a night just because there's nobody else to run the show. Yeah, and I mean, you look at some of the, the minutes that were played by some of our guys, you know, Carroll, 32, uh, Rondé, 31, Russell, 33, before going down, um, Crab 31, you know, AC, 23, Levert, 21. A lot of those guys, you know, even a guy like a Levert and a Harris um, and, and Booker, now that he's sort of working his way back, those minutes will probably increase two or three just to, you know, spread the load now that D'Angelo is down because... Um, it, it's a it's a fair load to have to bring losing your best player. Any team that loses their best player, you know, is going to struggle. You know, Utah has found that out with um, the loss of Rudy Gobert. But um, they've got a lot more depth and a lot more mature bodies. We're sort of still finding our footing um, under Kenny and with a lot of these new guys. But um, hopefully it's an opportunity that some of these guys can really relish. How long have yeah. you had a guess? How long do you think D'Angelo's out? Uh, I'd probably say about five games. Um, five games yeah they're saying day to day um depending on you know how our scheduling looks you mentioned um i'm not sure of how long and how close our games are i know we've got a couple of nights off um before the celtics come into to brooklyn to take on us at barclays um but i, I guess if there's going to be an injury you know we don't want to have them at all uh, but the fact that it's a light one and he did it on the end of a back-to-back allows him to to sort of rest and, you know, you never want them to happen, but at least he timed it well. Not that he wanted to obviously get injured, but it happened at a better time than, you know, in the middle of that road trip um, where we'd have to maybe get sent home and it sort of works out worse for the team as a whole. But I'm thinking that it's odd that they're saying, you know, day-to-day knee contusion. You know, it'd be nice for some front officers to just say, this is what's happening. Like, it's a bit, it's it's somewhat confusing about Jared Allen as well. Jared Allen has sort of been told, you know, day-to-day, day-to-day, day-to-day. But it's, it's been a couple of days now. Um, but, you know, I am I have faith in our front office and, and, and what they do and our and our staff, you know, where by no means the, you know, the Bulls of a few years ago or the Pelicans of now or even the Sixers in terms of what how they've been, you know, treating Markel Fultz for that matter. Um, I think he's going to be okay, Nick, as we mentioned, you know, Woj reported at first saying it's a knee contusion. He's going to be assessed day-to-day. So day-to-day generally means, you know, there might be only a little bit of bruising there. It's it's by no means, you know, any ligament damage. So it's a positive within a negative. 
Yeah, I don't think it's too bad. And I think, you know, with Jared Allen, too, they're just going to be precautious. They're young guys. We're not winning a championship. Let me, let's make sure they're 100%. We put them out there and they injure themselves again. And D'Angelo's knees have been a little bit of an issue in the past. I know he missed he missed a game earlier this season. Uh, he also missed some time with the Lakers the last two seasons because of knee injuries. So is that a concern for you in the future, or do you think he'll be fine? No, I think if it was injuries that weren't, you know, by pure luck. Um, I know a lot of people have uh, issues with Blake Griffin's injury history, but a lot of his more recent injuries, like Delos, have just been, you know, unlucky in terms of how they've occurred. They're not, you know, ACL, they're not meniscus, they're not um, in terms of body wear. They're just those injuries that, that happen when you play basketball, when you play sport. Um, they're not serious and if you play basketball, there's always going to be, you know, niggles in your knees, niggles in your shoulders, niggles in your ankles. Um, and the fact that, you know, it's these have only been light injuries and the fact that it's also his opposite knee to what he injured during the season, um, earlier in the season, it, it's there's no, no need to worry. Um, and for anyone that is, you know, I, I'd certainly taper, taper those worries because D'Lo's going to be fine. Um, he's young. You know, everyone has injuries. You know, we can't all be LeBron James having cryogenic chambers and, and having otherworldly human bodies, but um, D'Lo's fine. Yeah, LeBron's like an alien. Like, he'll sprain his ankle, it'll be turned completely the wrong way, and then all of a sudden he still he gets up, rolls up, that, dunks on somebody the next play. That, yeah, that Rockets game, it was just like, I saw, uh, not to like go on, on a tangent, but he's, an alien is, is a perfect way to describe because he's human. The, like, how could you do that to your ankle and then, like, put in a performance like he did it's just and i was listening to jackie mcmullen of espn she's like well when you've done that many injuries maybe it's just that you know your body is just used to that pain tolerance and it, you know those ankle sprains don't feel as bad as they did when you first do them um i guess the only worry with delo is in terms of when you do an injury in the first place that's the most likely reoccurrence of an injury the fact that you've done it in the first place Look at D. Rose, you know, he's done an ACL, so he's done a couple. Um, Jabari, uh, similarly. But the fact is, D. Rose injuries haven't been, you know, ACL, meniscus, um, shoulder, um, bad ankle ligament injuries, you know, in terms of stress injuries, no stress fractures or, or anything of that nature. Even um, our neighboring rival, Porzingis, with his elbow injury, you know, that's a, an injury he's had before in terms of wear and tear. D. Rose hasn't suffered those type of injuries. So I think that should give confidence to, to us and Nets fans. Before we get out of here, Jack, give me three guys who need to step up for the Nets to be at least competitive while D'Lo's out. Uh, Crab. Uh, we're going to get the Crab people going. Um, he's just – he's still – it seems like he's still finding his way um, with, with the Nets. Um, and I know he's been very inconsistent, one of our more inconsistent performers. When we were doing our gradings, um, we mentioned how – you know, he's, he hasn't really found his, his role or, you know, found comfort in his role, so to speak, whether that's due to his teammates um, or whether that's just learning to when to make the right play. I think it's a bit of both. And, and I think it might be a blessing in disguise having D'Lo injured. A lot of plays might now go through Crab and he might be able to, to feel, have a few more touches and be able to get some, find his footing a little bit better. Um, so Crab's probably my number one guy. I think um, Tabari Carroll is probably going to have to step up even more. He's sort of been a mentor for, for D'Lo um, in, in this early part of the season. He's mentioned 
how he's sort of told um, D'Angelo in off games and, and in in the locker room how the advice again was to you know look to Jeff T when in, in my Atlanta days he was sort of struggling in similar ways to you so I've loved his role and, and I think just the fact that he, he looks good um, and I think he's got the potential as a guy who can you know make a play or two especially um, he's one of our better three point shooters um, I, I would bet on him to be another a second player to sort of step up and then Spencer Dinwiddie if his injury um, if, if he's healthy sorry um, I, I think is, is you're, you're more likely one you know you go to Whitehead you go to Dinwiddie um, whichever one of those guys is going to be healthy um, it, it has to be the natural guy who steps up into the position of D'Angelo I think all of those guys have the potential to, to step up they've got the talent um, especially Dinwiddie and Crab. We, we've seen how good Crab is um, out in Portland. Maybe as in he's still struggling to, to fit in our system and, you know, struggle with a more increased role. But I think he's going to have to learn that now he, there's more asked of him and I think that's going to force him to step up. And I hopefully, um, in the absence of D'Angelo, he can. Yeah, Jack, you made some great picks. Alan Crab definitely somebody needs to step up. He needs to get the ball in his hands a little bit more, get a little bit more comfortable with the ball. Damari Carroll, like you said, a veteran. He sometimes is able to handle it a little bit too, make a play for himself, get some free throws. He's done that a lot this season. And obviously Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that definitely has to step up. I also like to see Karis LeVert step up. They're going to need him more yep. as a playmaker, especially with Isaiah Whitehead playing a lot. So that'd be a guy. Isaiah Whitehead too. He's going to see minutes now. It's either Isaiah Whitehead or Sean Kilpatrick. One of those yep. two is going to see a big jump in minutes, and this is a great opportunity for them to try to get themselves in the rotation. Yes, take their claim. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with them. Like we said, the Nets, you know, not a bad week for us. Uh, well, every every if we come back every time the Nets play two games and they go one and one, we finish the season around 500, I think we'll be pretty happy. I will be more than happy with that. And um, having a chat with one of my mates at, uh, at a bit of pickup basketball yesterday, Nick, I was saying to him how, you know, I'm hoping that we can finish with 30 or so wins. He was saying that, um you know, he, he thinks we've got the ability and the talent to finish with 35, so... I mean, I'd take 35 in a heartbeat just with, because that probably leaves you around the mark of, you know, 10th in the playoff race and a jump of 15 wins in a season is pretty, pretty huge. Um, yeah, especially think, when you consider losing Jeremy Lin. Exactly. Losing Jeremy Lin, losing Brook Lopez. Um, and, and I think it, it, there's certainly a possibility and, you know, it's all going to come down to, I think uh, the number one thing, and this is with all NBA teams, it's health. Um, we don't want to see stars of our own Brooklyn Nets um, unhealthy, but that goes across the league. You know, the injury to Rudy Gobert, um, four to six weeks, um, OTG Basketball tweeted it out via um, via Woj and Shams. It was just, it's just disappointing to see uh, those best players not out there. Um, Kyrie Irving, obviously, um, he'll be back soon enough, but, you know, we want to see the stars. We want to see the NBA at its best. Um, I'm not a big NFL fan, but I do know the whole, uh, injury fiasco that's been happening there that's been quite crazy and it's sort of depleting the products. Um, the NBA is as deep as and, and as talented as ever, but we still want to see our best guys out there. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, you just always want to see everybody healthy, but injuries do happen, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully the Nets can do, gra- do grab those wins, but you can hear us talk Nets all year. We'll be on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, YouTube, OTGBasketball.com, the Brooklyn Buzz Podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, at OTG Nick, and you can follow Jack at what's your Twitter, Jack? At the J Man JBT.
and you can also follow Jack. And as always, thank you everybody for listening. Jack, thank you for hopping on and have a wonderful night. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.